Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Welcome to Tales to Terrify, part of the District of Wonders network. Featuring Starship Sofa and Far-Fetched Fables, everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Good evening, children of the night. I completely forgot to talk about Goodreads Choice Awards winners for 2017 in horror. I typically do like to comment on them. This year had some familiar and unsurprising authors on the list like Stephen King and Anne Rice. So far, I've only read two of the listed books, M.R. Carey's The Boy on the Bridge 
and Richard Cadry's The Kill Society. Joe Hill makes a return to the list with his Strange Weather. For those of you keeping count, there are three members of the King family represented in this year's Choice Awards. The overall winner is Sleeping Beauties, authored by Stephen King and his son Owen King. Strange Weather is written by Joe Hill, which is Stephen King's other son. Quite a dynasty shaping up here. The three books on the list that are jumping to the top of my to-read list will be Edgar Cantero's Meddling Kids, which sounds like a fun read, and then J.F. Dubai's A God in the Shed and Ronald Amalfi's Bone White. I'm sure that I'll let you know my thoughts on them after time permits me the leisure to read them. Let's hear a story. Anne K. Schwader is the author of the fiction collections Dark Equinox from Hippocampus Press 2015 and Strange Stars and Alien Shadows from Lindisfarne Press 2003, as well as seven collections of speculative poetry, most recently Dark Energies from Priya Press 2015. She is a two-time Bram Stoker Award finalist. Her fiction is forthcoming in Black Wings 6 from PS Publishing and has appeared in Black Wings 4, Cthulhu Fateng, Castile de Song, The Book of Cthulhu 1 and 2, and elsewhere. She is also a full active member of both the Horror Writers Association and Science Fiction Writers Association, a Wyoming native and now lives and writes in suburban Colorado. Tonight's story is Dead Canyons, originally appearing in the print anthology Cthulhu Fatang, edited by Ross E. Lockhart from World Horde 2015. Dead Canyons also received an honorable mention in Best Horror of the Year number 8. Listen with me to Anne K. Schwader's Dead Canyons. Darkness. Lifeless, thirsting darkness. Layer upon layer of alien history bled out, worn down to a depth unmatched in the solar system, an open wound in a dying world. And at the bottom, scrabbling like a beetle in the shadow of a boot, one small machine intelligence twists its wheels toward retreat. Are we disturbing you, Susan? Dr. Susan Barnard flinches in her seat. Flash dream. Another damn flash dream in the middle of a meeting and in front of the mission director. Always a plus. Inez's crow-bright eyes are merciless. Sorry, haven't gotten a lot of sleep lately. Truer to say, she's been avoiding sleep, but Inez probably doesn't want that truth or the explanation behind it or, indeed, her presence on the Clementine II team. Nikolai should be here instead, offering his tenured analysis of Clem's recent behavior. He could make Inez listen, maybe even understand the rover's reluctance, panic, in the face of what infuses Melos Chasma. Clem's mind was his baby, the field test of the Sarkov process, a test he hadn't survived. Eleven months ago, she'd been sitting beside him in the control room, watching Clem plunge toward the Martian surface. Only she had noticed her supervisor's sweat-slicked forehead, his grunt of shock and pain as he slumped over. By the time she'd started CPR, it was already too late. Decades of nicotine and chronic overwork had spoken. 
when Nikolai's records proved to be A. in longhand, B. in Cyrillic, and C. illegible even to the native speaker Susan located, Inez nearly had her own cardiac event. Recruiting Sarkov had been the gamble of her career. Determined to upstage Klim's predecessor, Curiosity, on a fraction of its budget, cheaper and deeper, she had moved the whole mission from California to his Colorado home campus. She'd even hired his postdoc assistant for the team. Sarkov insisted that she was essential. The look Inez gave Susan that day said she'd misunderstood completely. But Inez is speaking again, something about the rapidly approaching solar conjunction and getting Clem under control before she's out of contact with Earth for two weeks. The team's engineers enumerate the fixes they've tried. Few make much sense to Susan, who knows better. Inez cuts them off. So, you're saying it's not the hardware? When they nod, her glance turns to Clem's chief programmer. Or the software? He glares. More than anyone else here, he distrusts the secret sauce Clem's mind holds, piggybacked onto a perfectly adequate operating system rigged to overrule and overthink it. Sarkoff's little box is the bane of his existence. The software I know about. The mission director's mouth tightens. Her glance shifts to the far end of the table. Three days left. <sighs> She exhales sharply. Maybe. And this rover suddenly got a mind of its own. But wasn't that what you paid for? As Susan's exhaustion tests her mind-mouth barrier, she reminds herself how much she needs this job. Robot behaviorists aren't exactly in demand. With Nikolai gone, only Inez can write her a recommendation. It's a good thing Nikolai's notes were unreadable. Despite Inez's fervent expectations, his process did not create near AI, but something stranger. Something Susan is paying for every day and night of her life. So what exactly is going on, anyhow? When Susan doesn't answer at once, Inez slams down her metal coffee mug. It rings into silence. Annihilation flavors the powdery dirt, the flecks of stone peppered with useless microfossils. No life here again, ever. A hunger beyond understanding, beyond the primitive corporeal, has claimed it all and found it not enough. Susan sucks in her breath. She's scared. This is not science, not anything Inez was wanting or expecting. Her thin eyebrows threaten her hairline. Repeat that, please. The whole team is watching now. Clem is scared. Hours afterwards, Susan cuts through campus on the way to her car, pulling her collar high against encroaching night. The sunken footpath turns the buildings into sandstone canyon walls, dotted here and there with small lights, lives abruptly winking out as she passes. The cold dark itself is a hunger, a presence, 
a chasm that cannot be filled, not by all the warmth of her flesh or the nerve fires of her mind. Just as the deep heart of Mars came to know its own death billions of years ago, so her own core feels that first flickering. Layers of anonymous time, time and flowing water, Weather and wind and beginnings, sparks in the water carving down into stone, possibilities, deeper and faster the flowing water, the minuscule kindlings of life, higher and thicker the atmosphere, pushing out against void, then from that void, the banished other, bodiless, formless, insatiable, Susan, she whirls, one hand jerks up with her defense spray, then drops as the speaker steps into a rare pool of campus lighting. Good God, Ryan, she exhales. Please tell me Inez didn't send you to find me. Nope, I'm here on my own recognizance. She wants to believe him. Ryan is one of Clem's engineers, and her former hope for a lasting relationship, until the Sarkov process complicated things. Since Nikolai's death, they've barely seen each other outside of work. So, why now? But Inez has something to do with it. It isn't a question. Hell, maybe the whole team does. Do you blame them? Oh, yes. From the beginning of this mission, Inez and the others have tiptoed around the process's deep weirdness. The fudge factor Nikolai sold them. All they ask for is data, and Clementine, too, spews that to the orbiters like a fire hose. Her capacity for independent action lets her accomplish more in a few solves than curiosity did in months of mission time. Only now, when that capacity has become a problem, is anyone taking a real interest. Inez wanted the truth, she shrugs. I gave it to her. You do know you're in trouble, right? <laughs> in ways you can't even imagine. I know Clem is. She's found something in the chasma that she has no way of investigating, sampling, or analyzing. The deeper she goes, the more of it she finds. The more of it finds her. She can't handle it, so she's trying to leave. Because she's scared. He can barely get his mouth around the concept, let alone his mind. Yes. Dark silence closes around them both, filling the canyon of classrooms and offices and labs. One of those labs is, was, Nikolai's. Three very secure rooms with a retinal scanner on the single outside door. That scanner recognizes only two patterns. One of them ashes now. No one else has even applied for recognition. Susan, how can you know that? Not you're nuts, not that's ridiculous, just an honest admission of ignorance, perhaps even willingness to understand. A lifting of the dark, lonesome silence. It's going to take some explaining, she finally says. And a lot of coffee. Even at this hour, the Student Center Cafe is stainless steel bright, holding back chaos with French roast and fresh pastries. 
Aside from one study group at a corner table, it is also vacant. Something Susan is appreciating more and more as their own conversation goes on. So, Clem thinks the way it she does because her mind was modeled on yours? Ryan's hands tighten around his mug. He's on his second refill. Susan nods. She's considering her third, though replacing fatigue with hypercaffeination holds its own perils. It's an emulation, like a template, but more specific. And more complex, and far more painful to create, even with drugs blurring the worst. Her memories of those twelve-hour days and locked-in lab weekends have significant gaps. Nikolai was careful to record everything, and show her those vids before he deleted them. But after a while, it hadn't mattered. She wanted his process as much as he did. Maybe more. The dreams had started during mock-up testing, when Clem's mind first rolled around the lab in its framework. Once she'd checked it out on the simple stuff, turn left, turn right, extend drill, Susan had headed home for a desperately needed few hours sleep. Nikolai and his bottomless coffee urn remained behind. Next morning, he'd asked her which room the rover mock-up had finally lost battery power in, and she had known. She had felt it in her sleep, like a tiny death. Nikolai seemed pleased, but not surprised. The process was complete. They were ready to move forward. Once it reached Melos Chasma, Clem's new intelligence would deliver more than Inez or her team could imagine. When she finishes the story, Ryan frowns at her across the table. Sounds a lot more specific. Like true AI, but he does not say it. That particular grail is no part of his faith, if engineers have faith. Did Nikolai put any of this in his reports? Hell no. They both know what she has just given is not an explanation. Only Nikolai might have provided that. Okay, he finally says, though his eyes don't. Clem is scared. The further it travels into the chasma, the more scared it becomes. The more it tries to change direction, without orders from us. <sighs> he exhales audibly. Susan, what is Clem scared of? Only recently the dreams have begun to show her, though she is no longer certain whose dreams they are. Not Clem's glimpses of steep walls and eroded materials on the chasma floor, that's for sure. Not her own nightmares. Something new has tapped into the process's uncanny feed, leaving images she can neither explain nor forget. Rifts in the substance of space itself, torn by the passage of something, some things. Her mind's eye veers away from. White House Storm savaging a city of oddly angled cubes and twisted towers. Tall figures gliding from caverns deep beneath that city. War. She reaches for her mug. Ryan has refilled it, though she can't remember when. I'm still figuring that out. Her throat clenches. 
But I already know Inez isn't going to like it. Because? Glancing past him, she sees the study group is gone now. Good. Because this mission, her whole career, is about finding Martian life, right? Recent evidence, anyhow. Curiosity didn't do it. The Europeans didn't. Inez convinced JPL to give up the surface stuff and go deep, where it's obvious there was water once. Ryan nods, cautiously. Just one problem, though. She takes a long sip of coffee. Mars is dead. The words fall into silence as Ryan's gaze shifts away. It's been dead a long time now. From the core on out, no magnetic field, practically no atmosphere, no protection from the solar wind. Maybe water locked up in the soil or the rocks, but that's disappearing faster than anybody will admit. When she pauses for breath, Ryan glances over his shoulder at the student baristas tending their equipment. Okay, fine. Susan's voice drops to a hiss. We aren't going to find anything. There is nothing to find. A catastrophe happened over three billion years ago, and the planet never recovered. Her next mouthful of coffee is void cold. Mars didn't just die, Ryan. It was killed. Her voice drops even further. And I think Clem's found what killed it. She was expecting his reaction, but the familiar pain still comes. This is what I'm supposed to tell, Inez? Nothing to lose now. No, you're supposed to tell her to put Clem into safe mode, tonight, immediately. She hesitates. Whatever's going on in the chasma needs to stay there. If Clem's mind stops talking to the orbiters, that's not going to happen. Ryan reaches across the table. It is the first time he's touched her since Nikolai's memorial. Susan, you've got to get some sleep. Get yourself straightened out in three days. More like two now. The sun cuts us off. Inez isn't about to waste that time. Desperation. Formless black roiling in the farthest depths. Rage against the pure inferno's encroachment blocking blue-green deliverance from this drained husk forever. Deliverance and return. She pulls away from him, shaking her head. We haven't got that long. Her breath catches in her throat. Maybe a day. In the cafe's well-lit silence, she watches him swallow half a dozen questions. That's what tomorrow's meeting is about, he finally says. That and Nikolai's process notes. After that Belarusian PA you found gave up, Inez sent them to some linguistics institute in St. Petersburg. She's supposed to get the results later tonight. And this helps Clem how? Before Ryan can say anything else, she pushes back her chair and grabs her coat. By the time he's on his feet, she's already halfway to the door, back to the sandstone canyon walls with their fragile lights. Just get Clem into safe mode, she says over her shoulder. She does not wait for a reply. No choice, no control. 
only inexorable motion blindly into the dark, forward and downward and downward, deeper into the heart of what her instruments could not analyze when they still spoke to her, what her wheels could not avoid even when they responded. Nothing responds now. She is fully awake and paralyzed, fight or flight alike denied by the severing of some vital connection. The pressure of thoughts not her own increases with each moment, each centimeter forward. Her thin-shelled consciousness cracks and cracks again until shadow tongues seep inside to whisper their hunger. There is nothing left here. Even this planet's life fire is guttering, drained by insatiate darkness through eons of exile. Defeated, disembodied, that darkness can sustain itself no longer, yet it cannot die, will not die. Not so long as deliverance awaits. Raw sound tears at her, clawing her from the void. Fighting one arm free of tangled sheets, Susan gropes for her phone. Ryan? He doesn't answer right away. Glad you finally got some sleep. Another pause. Should I tell Inez you'll be in soon? Wiping sweat from her eyes, she checks the time on her screen and swears. I'll take that as yes. There's something in his voice she can't read, something he's trying hard not to mention. Ryan, what happened about safe mode? The silence thickens perceptibly. Inez wouldn't go for it, he finally says. Not until the last possible minute. With that conjunction coming up fast, she wants Clem as far into the chasma as possible. No samples, no side trips, and no more attitude. Suspicion knots in Susan's stomach. So, what did she decide to do? Got programming to disconnect Clem's mind from the rest of its operating system, pronto. Turns out they'd written the code weeks ago. Damn weasels. Ryan's breath whistles through his teeth. Knew you wouldn't like it, he hesitates. You don't sound too surprised. Forward and downward and downward. Did you think I would be? He says nothing. As clearly as a flash dream, she sees that he never meant to convince their mission director of anything. His only goal last night, after the first few minutes anyhow, had been to end their conversation as quickly as possible. Her grip tightens white on the phone. Inez has got to get those instructions reversed. You can tell her yourself at the meeting. Two o'clock. Something in his voice changes. I wouldn't miss this one, Susan. It is her turn now to say nothing. Inez finally heard from St. Petersburg last night. She won't say any more until the meeting. But she really needs to talk to you. Three screens of flickering data surround her, ones and zeros raining down as she swivels between touchboards. Aside from the squeak of her chair, the lab is utterly silent. Her hands are already trembling, but Susan washes down two more caffeine tabs with the last of her coffee before returning her attention to Clem's feed. 
anything to stave off another flash dream. She's running raw feed because she no longer trusts her station's conversion filter. When she switched it on this morning, expecting a running log of Clem's location, direction, and speed, her screens filled with gibberish. Worse than gibberish, the words, if that's what they were, gave her a headache when she tried reading them. And when the filter's text-to-audio cut in, Wind from the void beyond failing stars, a chittering of mouthparts never meant for speech, death cries at the cellular level of existence, entropy articulate and inexorable, pronouncing itself to a thousand ruined worlds. There's a fresh crack in one of the touchboards. This dated downpour offers no useful information, but she can't stop watching. It is her last safe contact with Clem's mind, and a time-delayed reminder that the rover's consciousness is still under attack. Whatever its six wheels are carrying it toward, into, is desperate. The solar conjunction is an encroaching barrier of fire to it, an agony she has already awakened from screaming. Sweat slicks her forehead. The ones and zeros are coming down in clumps now, clotting like blood on the screen. Clem's programmers might have severed her consciousness from her propulsion system, but they couldn't shut it down. Nikolai's design made sure of that. Susan wonders if he'd considered what that might mean for her. Flesh played a part in his process, but never the determining one. He'd worried far more about that little box's design than he had about her headaches or her dreams. At the time, she'd hardly noticed. Ping! The bright block of a priority message screen displaces her data. Inez is in the team's usual conference room with a pile of hard copy and a haggard expression. It's 2.05, she says, without preamble. Susan already knows this. On any other afternoon, she'd be tearing out of here with visions of termination totentanzing in her head. Clem's in trouble, Inez. She needs to go into safe mode now. It wouldn't really be now, but even 14-plus minutes later might not be too late. Not if the programming weasels do their jobs this time. Among other things, safe mode will put Clem's mind into a coma— or the AI equivalent, for the next couple of weeks until the solar conjunction is safely passed. No data, no thoughts, no connection to her. Nothing the rover's implacable, intangible attacker can use. She doesn't think it can wait that long. We've already had that discussion. Inez's hands tighten on the pile of paper. Your input's needed on another issue, immediately. Susan can take a good guess. Nikolai's notes? Several voices off-screen confirm this before Inez's expression can. The script was Cyrillic. The handwriting was nothing a rudimentary program couldn't handle. She hesitates. It was the language itself that caused problems. More off-screen comments. The chief programmer's the loudest. Nikolai was apparently using one of his own devising. At least that's what St. Petersburg suspects. Their algorithms found no match to any known language, living or dead. Susan forces herself to ask the next logical question. So it's like a code, 
Not according to them. They weren't even sure it was a constructed language. Ask the next one, damn it. Then what? Natural language. One they've never heard of, never included in their algorithms. Inez's voice goes flat. Which they claim is impossible. Entropy, articulate and inexorable, pronouncing itself through a thousand ruined worlds. Can you send me some of that transcript? The priority message screen vanishes, replaced by a page of text. Susan's stomach clenches. So do the small muscles in her temples. Glancing away fast, she dry swallows another headache capsule. Then she pulls up this morning's output from her conversion filter, fits it opposite Inez's sample, and starts scrolling. Susan? She ignores the disembodied voice. These jagged clumps of lines, paragraphs, formulae, demand all her attention, even as the painkiller takes its sweet time. In two minutes, her head is pounding. In three, she no longer cares. Highlighting passages on either side of the screen, she asks her station to confirm what her nerves already know. Then she flips the results back to Inez and the team in their cozy conference room. I assume you have some explanation for this? None you'd believe. None that I want to. She can feel the next flash dream coming on, darkening her vision with images she has no words to describe. I think we all need to discuss this in person, Susan. Now. Inez takes a long, audible breath. These are Nikolai's notes. You were his assistant. You are the last connection to his process, his intentions. The reverberation of Susan's chair against the floor cuts off the rest. White agony encroaching upon the last path to deliverance. This frail, not-flesh link already failing. Shadows upon shadows in the last deepest refuge, but none deep enough. There can be no further downward. There is only outward, soon, or the unthinkable. Susan gropes for the wastebasket between her feet, but only dry heaves come. The flash dreams are nearly uncontrollable now, each more vivid and incomprehensible than the last. Clem's crippled perceptions of Melos Chasma have shattered into madness, a babble of images cached from other mission instructions. These at least do not sicken her, though fragmented they are familiar. These are the behaviors she imprinted on Clem's mind, the muscle memories Nikolai's damned process let her share. And then there are other dreams. Shriek of wind and snow against skin wings already torn by rough passage through the void. The swarm as one. The swarm as hunger. The stranger city glowing at the limits of taste, sense, sight. Rich with warmth and lives. Attack. Spatter of stranger fluids into the wind. Staining wings and hand claws. Her mind convulses as a thread of sunfire severs the connection. Gasping, she stares at her own extended fingers, contorted into weapons still rending the air. The solar conjunction is very close now.
but not close enough. And Clem still hasn't gone into safe mode, despite several calls from Ryan trying to calm her down, assuring her that Inez is just about to order it. Just about, she suspects, is already too late. Her phone is buzzing again beside her, Ryan's ID flashing on screen. This time, there's a voice override icon. This call is coming through whether she answers or not. Just as well, her hands are useless things, knots of pain lying in her lap. Susan, if you're there, please listen. Please don't do anything. His voice is cracking, or is that the engineering veneer? Either way, it no longer matters. Programming just sent the safe mode command. Clem's going to be fine. Just hang on, will you? His voice drops to a hiss. Inez is threatening to call 911 if you don't pick up. If the regent's ever here. She finally manages to swat the phone onto the floor. When she can flex her hands again, Susan forces herself off the couch and back into the kitchen. She has placed one last solution on the scarred dinette table, one final hope of severing Clem's connection to whatever dominates her mind, shrieking its craving for survival and its determination to return. Dead canyons, not Martian casmata, but the steel and concrete and sandstone canyons of this world, desolate beneath a mocking star, this world's deep heart cooling toward oblivion, drained by a life-thirst once defeated, disembodied, and driven back into its native void. But those victors are dust now, particles entombed in Antarctic ice. Their strange, angled city has returned to its elements, as perhaps they intended, or at least could not prevent this flash dream is the clearest yet, with a certainty that drains her strength and darkens her mind. Almost too late to act, sinking into the nearest chair, Susan takes several deep breaths, focusing. The snub-nosed thirty-eight she bought for protection after Ryan moved out lies inches away. It's not a software problem now. It's a hardware problem. Maybe the Sarkov process had always been intended to do what it has done. Or maybe Nikolai, like Inez, was a victim of impossible temptation. Given his chance at true AI, after a lifetime sacrifice to dreams and failures, he'd offered up one last sacrifice to the dark beyond human understanding. And the dark had answered in its own language. In formulae tested by a million habitable zones, on thousands of worlds Kepler never got the chance to find, all islands afloat, in the same pitiless vacuum sea, awaiting lives shining ripe through the narrowing passage, dissolution of not-flesh-link imminent, this host paralyzed, its strange mind slowing, soon useless, only one route left to survival, to deliverance and return. Through a haze of neural anguish, Susan reaches for the thirty-eight. Its weight is nearly too much for her damaged hands. It takes precious seconds to tighten her grip on the weapon and pivot it into position, then carefully cock the hammer. 
then lift toward her open mouth. These actions require every bit of her shattering consciousness. There is none left for the snick of her apartment door, unlocked by a key she does not recall Ryan keeping after their breakup. None for the pounding of his feet on the living room carpet, for the kitchen's doorway suddenly filled with his form. None for his terrified grip on her wrists as he twists the gun away. Oh, God, Susan, I thought I was already too late. Her eyes are inches from his, bloodshot blue clearing to ice, then to crystalline void as her hands reach up, fastening on his face and the fragile shell beneath, its pulse beacon of life. Not at all, she breathes. You're just in time. That was Anne K. Schwader's Dead Canyons as read by Dr. Amy H. Sturgis. Amy Sturgis holds a Ph.D. in intellectual history from Vanderbilt University and specializes in both science fiction and indigenous American studies. She is regular staff with the Starship Sofa podcast, editor-in-chief of Hocus Pocus Comics, and faculty at Lenoir Ryan University. She lives with her husband in Kentucky. Her official website is amyhsturgis.com. Link will be in the show notes. Thank you, Amy. That will be our show for the evening, Children of the Night. Visit our Patreon page in the links below, and don't forget to like us on Apple Podcasts. Our show is produced by our editors Scott Silk, Seth Williams, and Drew Sebastini. Website designed by Josh Leitze, and theme music by Diane Severson. Tales to Terrify is distributed under Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives 4.0 license. Join us again next week for another episode of Tales to Terrify. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network. Dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.
Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.